Welcome to Micro, I'm Drew Hawkins, and this episode is part of an interview series for Miami Book Fair, where members of Team Micro, that's myself, Dylan Evers, Maymay Kaufman, and Kirsten Renault, interview authors appearing at the fair about their work. For more information about their programming and to check out the incredible roster of authors appearing this year, visit MiamiBookFair.com. And be sure to follow them at Miami Book Fair and hashtag Miami Book Fair 2022 for more updates. Now, back to the show. Welcome to Micro. I'm Maymay Kaufman, and today I'm speaking with New York Times bestselling author Ada Calhoun. We'll be talking about her latest book, also a poet, Frank O'Hara, My Father and Me. To start the show, we've asked her to select and read a passage from the book. So here's Ada Calhoun reading Also a Poet, Frank O'Hara, My Father and Me. When I was six, I loved staying up late, looking out into the dark, seeing people go places. In the darkness with no one watching me, I could be anything. And what I chose alone in my room with all the choices in the world at my feet was to imitate my father, who was imitating Frank O'Hara. All three of us writing poems about New York and nighttime and dreams. I mimicked my father's O'Hara reverence the way a boy learns how to shave from watching his father's face in the bathroom mirror. And yet, my father has been considered the real writer, the tortured artist creating behind a locked door. I've been the hard worker meeting deadlines over a laptop and coffee shops or on the couch with a child watching wonder pets at my side. I've always been a mystery to my father and he to me. The main difference is that I've been fascinated by him and he's often seemed to forget I was there. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Um, I first wanted to ask about how the writing of this book differs um, from your differed from your past projects. The book opens with a very clear mission. Inspired by finding these tapes of Frank O'Hara interviews that your father conducted in the 70s, you attempt to write a biography your father didn't finish. But then near the conclusion, you write, finishing my father's book would be impossible. I would have to write my own. I was just first stunned by the beauty and strength in this quote, but it also got me thinking how stressful it would be to have a project drastically change when you've already invested so much in it. Have you ever had a project take such a big shift before? And how did you handle this one? Um, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yes, I, as a ghostwriter, I've seen projects in various states of chaos and disorder and um, implosion. So I knew that that happened, but I always thought of it as something that usually happened to other people. And, um, and I was often brought in as a fixer on projects that's become in the last few years, something that as a ghostwriter, I do often, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm called when the project seems to be falling apart and then I come in and I save the day and it's a good feeling. And I thought that's, what's going to happen here. I'm going to figure out a way to fix everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it was a real comeuppance for me to realize I could not charm my way out of this predicament um, that I found myself <laughs> in and had to do something completely different. And it, it was totally different than any other book I've done before. So like, you know, I, had, I did an essay collection, I did a history of New York. Um, I did a book about middle-aged women and they were all like, you know, a lot of research or, you know, um, a lot of thinking through a question. Um, but usually it was things that I wasn't living in that exact moment. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, this one more than the others was like, I was writing it as I was going through it. So it almost feels like, you know, a real, real time experience. 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was something I really loved in my just reader experience of it. Um, it felt just so visceral. I felt like you were so, um, just so incredibly close. I was also just as a writer at the same time, I felt like so close, but then as a writer, I felt like I kept zooming out and was just like, how is she doing this? Like, um, so it's very impressive. Um, thank you. So it was my contact. Got, got so excited. I was trying to jump out. Um, okay. So one of my favorite topics in this book is, and one that I wasn't expecting, um, is how women's role in the creative world, or maybe more specifically in the lives of artistic and powerful men. Um, and you illuminate a lot of darker aspects of being a child of Bohemia, as well, um, you know, as for the women compatriots of Frank O'Hara and the role of your mother as a supportive force in your father's literary career. Um, was that always something that you intended to explore in this book or was it inspired by research and reflection as the project went on and changed? I did not come into it thinking I would talk about that at all. I don't think, um, you know, I, I thought it was going to be so fun. <laughs> I thought this was going to be like just such a delight because I love Frank O'Hara's poetry yeah. and I found those tapes and I thought, oh, to live in this world for a few months or a couple of years or however long it takes, like what a joy to just, you know, tra time travel back to cocktail parties and New York City lofts and just the, the joy of being around those people. I was really excited about it. And, and I, no, I didn't have any expectation that I'd wind up talking about um, about any of the rest of it. And then when I wound up, when it wound up becoming a lot more about my relationship with my father, I, I started to think more about being a child of Bohemia and growing up around these sort of larger than life personalities. And um, and then reading about Frank O'Hara and listening to these tapes, I just kept being struck by the way women were talked about and um, and the way children were talked about. And um, and it yeah, it started to make me. A little a little mad <laughs> so I just wound up talking about about that in a way that I just didn't expect to oh it was it was beautiful I mean it was just it was comforting just like as you know a woman writer but um I don't know I I love the way that it caused me to look at women in my life differently um oh. who are creatives and not but also oh. like you know favorite creative women writers and like ways that maybe I didn't think about how, like, I just assume like, oh, well, if you've published some books, then you're successful and you don't have any problems. Um, <laughs> um, that's not well, totally true. <laughs> yes, we could, we could have a whole sidebar on that. Um, what, what, what I will say is I've heard from a lot of, heard from a lot of women since the book came out about how it made them think about their relationships with their fathers. And then also about the about giving themselves permission to do things. And that I think there, yeah. um, there is this tendency, and I think a lot of people have it, maybe women have it more a little, is this sense that um, that the stories are for somebody else to tell or mm -hmm. um, that there are other people who are like the real ones. And in my case, my father was always, he, he was talked about in the world and then in the house also as the, as the writer, as the artist, as the creative. And even even after, you know, I sold more books than him, even after I made more money than him, even after I won awards, it still felt like that narrative was felt true for, for the world, for the house, and even for me in my own head. Um, and the book is a little bit of an exorcism of that idea, like the idea of genius. I'm not saying taking anything away from him because I think he was a brilliant writer, mm -hmm. um, but this idea of like what it means to be a genius and, and do you have to be 
do you have to not care about your family, right? In order to actually be seen as somebody who's worthy uh, in the world a, 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 in a creative way. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that I really had to dismantle in my own mind while I was doing it in the book. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Just the, the sheer heavy lifting of that. <laughs> um, exhausting to think about. Um, okay. All right. I'm going to jump to a question. I wasn't sure if I was going to ask though. Um, but I really wanted to. So um, I'm glad that we went down this train of thought. Okay. So at first I thought that the title of this book was like deceptively simple. I guess maybe I didn't realize how dece- I just thought it was simple. I didn't realize it was deceptively simple, but it really grows in meeting as the narrative moves forward. So um, for those of you who haven't read it yet, so you explained early on that also a poet is a line taken from one of Frank O'Hara's rather disappointing obituary. <laughs> yeah. New York Times, wow. get it together. Yeah. That's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing for them. Um, but the line came back to me um, in this scene after your father received his lung cancer diagnosis. And he defines himself to the doctor as solely a writer, as living for writing before anything else, as if he was also a husband, also a father. And I was so intrigued by the way that allowed you to see how you've conducted your life as a writer differently from your father. Um, And I'm just curious what brought you to choose that title over anything else? It's so funny you say that because, you know, I, I titled the book that um, sort of thinking that it was about like legacy, right? So mm-hmm. how we're remembered and are we remembered for the thing that we want to be remembered for or remembered for other things. And um, and just the time's getting it so wrong in the moment in 1966 and um, and how, how that looks now. And so that was the idea behind it. Uh, and then somebody else pointed out something similar, which I think is so smart, which is that it's about how we self-identify too. And, mm, um, you know, yeah. that, that like being, yeah, are, are you a writer? Are you a father? Are you both? Like what's, you know, what do you choose to identify as? Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think like, I'm a, like, you know, a friend and a mother and a whatever, like daughter and all these things. I'm like also, you know, and I'm also a writer. Um, and I think for my father, it, it wasn't that way. He, he was a writer and he said that until the day he died, literally. Um, that was, that was what he cared about. And that was what was important to him and everything else. Um, if it, if it did exist in his mind, which I think it did occasionally, um, it was an addendum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have to begin this question with a backstory of sheer panic on my part, sheer, sheer panic. Okay. So my review copy, um, got lost in the mail of your book. And so I was terrified that I wouldn't have enough time to prepare. So, um, and this was, you know, like a week or so um, ago. Uh, so I got the audiobook version, just thinking, oh. okay, this is smart. because I can just like, you know, turn the speed up and listen really fast and yeah, I'll be prepared. And I was also delighted because I saw, I was like, oh, she's the one reading it. Fantastic. And then I saw Lily Taylor's name. She's one of my favorite actresses. My mom is obsessed Wonderful. with the movie, um, A Slipping Down Life. Whew, Guy Pierce. Oh. Anyways, I'm <laughs> All right. So now, of course, having listened to the book, um, I'm like, I, it includes so many amazing original recordings of both you and your father conducting interviews decades apart with other writers over time, but also with each other and recordings, of course, y'all singing together. Um, God, that ending, whew, that knocked myself <laughs> off. Um, oh. and, and so now 
I can't imagine having experienced this book in any other way. And I'm just, I just want to know what it was like for you to record and see this book come into an auditory form when that is what inspired it to begin with and getting to include all those originals. Yeah, it was really, I I was really happy to do that. So for my last book, um, which was also done by Audible, um, I used some clips from interviews I did with various women around the country. And I really liked it because you got this sense of the breadth of like generation X women. And, you know, in this sense, like you had different accents and, um, and, and I thought it was nice as a kind of a, uh, what do they call it? like a keynote at the beginning of each chapter to have like one woman's voice saying something about that experience that related to the chapter. Yeah. So when this book came along, I was like, well, this is an obvious one where it would make so much sense to have in those places where I'm quoting the tapes to have the people's actual voices in there. And I, similarly, I think you have these sort of wild accents and these like fifties bohemian slang <laughs> conversations and um and people obviously smoking and drinking beer while they're talking and um and I I thought that yeah I thought it added to it and also I, I liked being able to use those tapes where I showed up as a baby because they were so shocking to me when I found them when I was listening to the tapes I thought it would just be these straight interviews and then every once in a while I would like wander in like there's one moment where I think it was my father's interviewing Donald's role maybe. Um, and, and I like toddle in as like a one or two year old and he's like, Oh God, like he's so annoyed. (laughs) And I'm like, hello, like, I'm so happy to see them. And, um, I was so social and, uh, as a little baby and, and he's so irritated. And, um, it was, it was, anyway, it was really shocking in the moments where I was able to listen to, to me talking to my parents as a one, two, three year old, um, you know, for, for, for therapy purposes, really invaluable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And it just made the audiobook. I was just like, Oh my God, it was just a, a tour de force having all that come together. It made, just made me feel even more inside, inside the world and your experience. I'm um, yeah. A lot of people have said that they got, they got both. <laughs> I was really happy about yeah. because they wanted to like mark up the hard card cover and then like listen to the audio. And um, I, I support that wholeheartedly as do both my publishers. So. Yes, that's well, that's what I'm hoping to do as well. If my I'm 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 still hoping that somehow it's it's going to find me in the in the mail system, but if not, I will have to get my own hard copy. It's also just <laughs> such a beautiful cover. Um Oh, I know. That's Becca yeah. Fox. She's unbelievable. Um at yeah. Grove, she's really cool. Um all right, so this is a fun one. Um, this is something that we're asking everyone we talk to this season. Um, but I encourage you to take it as strangely or specifically as you like. Um, okay. What were you reading as you wrote Also a Poet? Or what music or TV or food or workspace were you surrounding yourself with for creative sustenance? Mm-hmm. That is an easy one because I started writing it at the beginning of lockdown. I don't know that I actually would have written the book without lockdown because mm. I had been putting off really um, listening closely to and transcribing all those cassette tapes. It was like 40 hours of material yeah. only by being totally um, uh, locked away from everything <laughs> um, else could I really get to do it and, and focus the way I needed to. So what I did was I had, there was like a former chicken coop in the backyard of the house in the Catskills that I was um spending that time in and I um I set up a whiteboard there and listed all the tapes and then every day I would go out there with 
a like a large cup of coffee and then like listen to a tape and transcribe it and check it off. And so I did that for, you know, like I guess a month and a half straight. Yeah. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so a lot of coffee, chicken soup smelled still a little like chickens. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that was, yeah, that was my, oh, and then I would say, well, listen to music. Um, I always put a mixtape in my books, like in the back with the bibliography. So yes. if you get a, if you get a paper copy, I don't, I don't know if it was an audio book. That's um, one reason but, why I have to get the hard copy. <laughs> but, it is um, note, I, noted on the audible, but it's not fully uh, there. So I got, I will, it. I will, I will also just send it to you on it. But, um, <laughs> but I, but there were a lot of songs that were about like um, disconnection or about bohemia or, um, or things like that. Like what was that? Dave Mason song we just disagree with one of the songs and um the Liz Fair song Canary I think was really good um yeah. because it's it's about about that feeling uh you know about and it's about this idea of like whose voices are heard yeah whose voices are heard yeah seriously um all right so I want to give a personal thank you for your essay collection Wedding Toast I'll Never Give um, because this was my first introduction to your work, um, I guess more than five years ago now, um, when I got engaged and a friend gave it to me and I was oh, just like, okay, like fun title. I'm engaged now. All right. Let's lean into it, you know, book style. Um, <laughs> and I feel like I just, I loved it so much. And I feel like those oh. essays have been a, a booing force for good in my marriage. And oh, also you've given me a new, and I'm sure lifelong tradition of now I give that copy to every single friend that gets it. Oh, it's not lovely. Thank um, you very much. Oh, and they, and they always, and they always love it. And it's just always, it's always a hit. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I feel like I can't give you words of wisdom, but I can give you this book. Um, <laughs> uh, curious if you ever thought that um, your book would become a sisterhood of the traveling memoir. <laughs> <laughs> I am really honored. It, it you know, so it started out as an essay I wrote for the Times that I did not think was going to go, you know, do anything, and that went sort of weirdly viral, and um, that led to the book, and um, and I was so glad. And I think it is like stuff's so complicated, right? It's like it's so much. There's so much difficulty in um, human relationships, and I think we don't talk about it enough. And that's something that um, that I I believe in, and I um, I like doing in my personal life and in my work whenever I can. Yeah. One, one thing, I mean, just to bring it back to old Frank for a moment. One thing I loved in the book, how you, how you talked about um, your father giving you lunch poems when you were young and how you now, that's one of your favorite books yeah. to give, to give young reader is Franco, uh, Franco Harris lunch poems. And I just, yeah, friend, yeah, no friends of mine say that like that the book is about books, you know, and about mm -hmm. like about, um, kind of relationships forged through books or yeah. not forged, you know, like I said, there, there's a recurring theme in the book of me trying to give my, or giving my father books and then him forgetting that I gave them to him or throwing them away or, oh, um, I or, wanted to cry during that scene. <laughs> oh my, I, I would have been on the floor. <laughs> some reviewers have like taken issue with me as being too like, um, sensitive about that, but, but you know how it is when you're like actually trying to connect with somebody over writing that you love and they don't want to do that with you. And it's, um, it's, it is sort of, you know, it's, it doesn't feel good. So. No, no, no. Yeah. I've had similar misunderstandings <laughs> or I don't know if it's a misunderstanding, misalignments of sorts. Mm -hmm. um, misalignments, misalignments is a good way to say it. Yeah. Um, yeah. With, with my own dad who was, <laughs> oh, oh, I don't want, I don't know. I don't want to shoot. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. 
I would love to. <laughs> he's an artist. He's a photographer. And I just finished the first draft of my novel. And we had a, um, a long conversation about how he was, you know, he said all the right things. So impressed, you know, mm-hmm. when um, Good. that's so hard, you know, getting through the first one. And I was like, I know, but like, I think draft two is harder. Like now I have to like actually go through all this stuff that I just vomited and kind mm-hmm. of like make sense out of my mess. And he's like, you're right. Editing process. And he was like, so with me for all that. And then he, then he switched tracks. He's like, but when are you getting your PhD? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was just totally thrown. I was like, that's not really yeah. my plans right now. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, but your life will be directionless. Oh, interesting. Yes. Oh, curveball. Yeah. Uh-huh. Kind of threw me. I love, I love my dad. Um, uh-huh. didn't finish college though, oh. which isn't a, you know, which isn't a problem at all. But I thought, Hey, why are you pushing for academia, sir? You're an artist. Like support the artist lifestyle. <laughs> was, I was just really confused, but I was like, that's very funny. Yeah. So protective. I felt like it sounds protective. He's trying to set you up for something that he didn't have. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe the yeah. nice way to look at it. Yes, I do. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, it took me like a couple of weeks to lick my wound. And, um, mm. you know, cry in secret, but uh, yeah, I felt mm-hmm. like this book, um, you know, that was a conversation I had with him maybe a week before I read your book. And oh. I felt like it, um, I think it allowed me to have a little bit more grace and, oh. you know, towards him. I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah. Maybe we don't always communicate things the way we want. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad could have a little business card that says bridge burner as well, <laughs> but like <laughs> oblivious, oblivious. Bridge yeah. <laughs> and well Funny. he met well mm-hmm. um yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay um my gosh am I out of questions is that possible <laughs> it's about 17 minutes no um is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to be asked I never do this but um you're like a master interviewer Oh, you know, I, just, I was really intimidated I, I coming to this because you write so you reflect so much about the art of interviewing in your in your book, and I just oh. was so impressed by that. And I'm just like, what's a great interview question? What's one of your favorites? Um, well, first of all, you're in my experience very good at it, so thank you very oh, much. I appreciate it. Um, well, it's funny because you know I I I've, I teach memoir occasionally, um, and when I have, uh, that's one thing that comes up is like if people are trying to do interviews for their books, um, you know, either to go back and fact check their memory or to do research that they're going to weave in, they want to know how to do it. And I called um, my friend Taffy Brodesser Ackner, who's like a very uh, successful profile writer. She also of course wrote like that book Fleischman's in trouble, which is so good anyway. Um, and she said, she said, tell them to be quiet. She said, they say people never think about it, but the thing to do is you just, you stop talking. You don't, um, you don't, you don't ask a lot. You just, you just listen. And that people are so disarmed by listening, by actual focused listening that they will tell you a lot of things they wouldn't, they wouldn't say otherwise. And, uh, and I, so I always have tried to do that myself. And that was something that came up as a theme in the book because my father in the interviews that he was doing for this biography, he he wasn't really able to do that, or he didn't see it as something that um, that he should be doing because he was trying to show off a lot. He would ask a question, and the person would start to answer it, and instead of being quiet, he would talk over them. Like, no, 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 
no, he wasn't like that. He was like this. And then he went, and then he got nothing he could use, right? Because it was yeah. all him filling those tapes up with his own opinions. And, uh, and so it was a good illustration of what Taffy said being true, that the more you can be quiet, the more you can risk being stupid. Also, I think he was afraid of looking dumb. He wanted to be seen as somebody who, um, who had the authority and the wisdom mm-hmm. to be doing that book. Um, yeah. And and he was really trying to establish that in the course of his interviews. And, um, and it didn't, didn't serve him well for a biography. Right, right. I felt like I could feel so hard for both of you in some of those moments. I love the moments where you're listening to his interviews from decades before. And, and you talk about wanting to shout through time. Stop <laughs> asking him what year that happened. Just listen <laughs> to the story. But also at the same time, you know, I'll get so anxious sometimes that I'm like, I know that I'm doing exactly what you talked about, like trying to sound smart <laughs> and I deserve to be here. And it's like, you are defeating your own purpose, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that was the other thing he did um, was the numbers thing, right? He was always trying to kind of pull it back to the year and there would be people sitting there prepared to tell, to like share these very intimate stories. There was one moment with a former lover of O'Hara's who who had just I mean it was still heartbroken you could hear it in his voice and he would start to tell this story and then my father was like what year what year was it and then you're just like oh you just you could feel him shrinking back and it was so painful because also I think you know there's something cathartic and um and healing about like making meaning out of things that have happened to you right like of like yes. taking these stories and, um, and I think all writers do this to some extent, you take the things, you know, these like these scenes or characters or whatever, and you like construct something out of them and it gives you some kind of, uh, control. It gives you some kind of mastery over what's happened and it, and it's healing. And I think these people were trying to tell these stories, some of them, like, especially that guy who was really still in love with, with Frank O'Hara, um, 10 years later, uh, we're trying to do that. And, and it was. It, it didn't happen because, mm-hmm. because there wasn't the context for it or the, the space given for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love so much that this book didn't work out as a biography because I'm just so fascinated with what, with what it did become and just how beautiful it was to, to read your reflections on that very difficult experience. But it also got me wondering you know, you write beautifully about what you think it takes to be a biographer and the certain kind of obsession that you must have with the subject. So I'm curious in sort of like a dream world way, if you were going to do just straight do a biography, do you know who you would want to do that on? Just Uh, like a a dreamy fun way. Yeah, I've totally toyed with the idea of it. I really love the, the thought. I, um, I do like to do a lot of different things all at once. And, and I wonder if, if I could focus on just one thing for that long, yeah. um, you know, ultimately, I mean, it probably makes sense that I didn't actually succeed in the biography, not only for the reasons that show up in the book, but, um, but maybe it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be probably the ones I thought about are Don Powell. Do you know her, the novelist? No, oh, I, I, want to I, co- I commend her to you. Um, she yes. was a, a real village character and she wrote these kind of hilarious books and some mid-century novels about climbers in the um, publishing world art worlds village scene everybody's drunk all the time they're very funny they're very sharp people say that 
um, the Dorothy Parker's best lines came from Don Powell. It, oh. They're just, they're charming. And, and she had I'm such an, <laughs> she had such a, uh, she, she, I don't know. She's never got rec- recognized in her life. Um, she, anyway, I, I just, she, ha- there is a biography about her, a, a, a good biography, but there's something about her as a woman in the village that I feel like wasn't hundred percent written about or hasn't been. So that's mm-hmm. one idea I had that I probably will never pursue. And um, there's been a couple other people who've like showed up in like early American history that I think are really fascinating that mm-hmm. are tempting, but again, not, not sure I have the patience. <laughs> I think that's fair. You do quite a lot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um. All right. One last one. Um, for readers that are unfamiliar with Frank O'Hara, um, I believe based on my reading, you would send him to lunch poems first, but what is your personal favorite Frank O'Hara that we should all hit pause and go Google and read now? Uh, well, probably let's see. I, I like the Harbor master. I would do two. I would do the Harbor master and I would do Lana Turner has collapsed. I think those two give a nice range because one is um, is very beautiful and moving and the other is quite funny. And, and he was really good at, at, at doing both things, at, at being um, being really hilarious and being really sublime. Yeah. Okay, I lied. I thought of another one while you answered that. Um, okay. Is there um, any work of your father's that stands out for you as, as a favorite? I know he wrote poetry in the beginning of his career and then it's been mostly art criticism, but... Um, that's a really good question. I would say there, there was a poem, his last poem he ever wrote was about the challenger disaster. And I think it's really very, um, uh, it's very beautiful. And he talks in, in the poem, um, a little bit about me, a little bit about his father and it's, um, it's really moving. And, uh, and he, he read it. I think I might, I don't remember if I included a clip of it in the audiobook you would you probably know better than I do because it's, it's been a little while now but um but yeah I think that 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 might be my favorite I, I just think it was sort of him at his best and actually like looking around to him in a way that um that he didn't he didn't often do in his work oh that's beautiful that's beautiful all right we're not topping that one everyone <laughs> be sure to stop by and see Ada Calhoun at Miami Book Fair November 13th through 20th in beautiful Miami Florida and pick up a copy of her latest book also a poet Frank O'Hara My Father and Me from Grove Press available now at your favorite bookstore and on Audible which I personally recommend Ada Calhoun <laughs> thank you so much for stopping by oh it's been a pleasure you're wonderful thank you so much